Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. The following podcast is a documentary of real events that happened between 2017 and the present day. They chronicle our real-life experiences as we were swept into a missing persons case in our community. And information often evolves over the course of multiple episodes. The police have not named any suspects, nor have we. All the facts and theories that we came across in our investigation are being presented to you over the course of these episodes so that you can join us in the search for justice for Elaine Park. I think the reason we were so aware of it is because they were all so posting about it. Yeah. A lot of it was? Big so, dance company. I think yeah. like we were just involved on in Facebook with like people that had been in the dance company. Really actively. Yeah, because there's a mother, a dance mother, who started the Facebook page for the mom. Around this time in the investigation of Elaine Park's disappearance, I was at a dinner. I was sitting across from a brother and a sister. His name was Phineas. Her name... Billie Eilish. Today, she's a number one recording artist. But back then, she was just starting her career. Billie and Phineas were telling me that they'd recorded a song for a performance by a dance troupe they belonged to near Glendale. They put it on SoundCloud and woke up the very next day to discover it had over a thousand listens and climbing. Now, because of this fortunate accident, they were signed to a major label. I'm sharing the story because I recognized the name of the dance group. It was the same one Elaine Park belonged to. I asked them if they knew her, and it turns out they knew all about Elaine's disappearance. I can't believe it's the same person from your dance. So let, let me write down your number because I might call and see. Are you still in the dance? Are you in the dance group? I I was in the company. You're in the company. Then I got injured recently, but I'm so close with my mom. I asked them if they had any thoughts about Elaine's disappearance, and this is what they had to share. Well, just like when I saw it, they, the mom just, she acted so suspicious to me, just because she kind of, at one point, she was like, honey, if you see this, like, I just want to know that, like, I hope you feel safe to come home. I really want to mend it almost was her intimating, like, that the daughter, like, run away. That was what yeah, it that's sounded what it like felt from her. Like. Right. like, they didn't leave on good terms. A lot of people will lie in with motivation. Some shit going on.
Episode 6, Chapter 11, Unwanted. PDF I think this is good because I was going to hand these out of Coachella. I wonder That's if you should do something like, you know, attend, attend Coachella every year, yeah. add something like that to yeah, the flyer. Sure. You know. I'm on my way to the Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival, an event that Elaine Park, who went missing some two and a half months earlier, loved attending. And I've stopped by her mother Susan's house to get photos of Elaine so I can make up flyers to distribute to attendees. If Elaine is voluntarily missing, this is definitely a place she would be. But maybe we could take the picture of her at Coachella. Would oh, be good to put on the, on the... And she has this, you know. Susan's friend, Rosemarie, is also at the house. And as we go to look for photos, I enter Elaine Park's room for the first time. It's an uncomfortable experience now that I know about the die-die-die texts and the insurance money, but I want to keep an open mind. I look around, and I notice a bed against the wall, a closet to my left, a desk on my right, a dresser across from me, and I think about the 20-year-old who once lived in this room. Coachella 2012, my heart connected to my soul. Music spoke to me on higher levels, saw the weak, saw the weekend heavy on that roll. Placed a tab under my tongue, it dissolved. She said, have fun, shit. My blackberry melted barefoot, I started to run. That moment was bliss in my mind, no pictures to recreate time. It wasn't until that Sunday night that something holy caught my eye. Dre, Snoop, Wiz, 50, the whole army at salute. Then the lights turned black and everyone's cheers turned to mute. He said, what the fuck is up, Coachella? And Pac resurrected out the blue. Hail Mary started playing and I thought, this can't be true. I knew it wasn't you. When Mike, Ingrid, and Anne-Marie visited for the first time, they mentioned that Susan had shown them an erotic modeling card in Elaine's backpack that seemed to be staged. This time, Susan doesn't mention the card. Instead, she walks to Elaine's dresser. There was something that's kinky kind of stuff that I noticed for the last uh, four or five months that I noticed I wasn't happy with. She would wear that. Do you want me to show it to you? Well, you and know, begins to open Elaine's underwear drawer to show me her lingerie and undergarments. Uncomfortable, I attempt to stop her. I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to see her personal garments. No, it's, it's like a leather right. kinky yeah. stuff, you know. I would never right. even touch it or... So... Yeah, yeah, you don't have to show me that. No, the reason why I mentioned that is because at one point they mentioned about if she's doing prostitution. It seems like such a strange thing for a mother to imply that her daughter was a sex worker without any actual knowledge about it. And at this point, I've been thoroughly through Elaine's phone and computer, and I've seen nothing even remotely alluding to this. As for the modeling card, I actually looked into it. And according to Elaine's friends, someone gave it to her when she was working at the restaurant Dave & Buster's. She showed it to multiple friends and saved it because she thought it was funny not because she was interested in pursuing it. And the number doesn't appear on her phone records. Susan then points out a whiteboard behind the door to the room, where she's written a note for Elaine in blue marker. This was written like, you know, the day before the car was found. And up till the the February 1st, I felt that she's gonna be home. It reads in its entirety, Elaine, as soon as you decide to come home and you are at home, Please let me know at your earliest. I am so worried. So written with five O's. I do love you, Mom. And then at the bottom, it's dated February 1st, 2017, which is one day 
before Lane's car was found, as Susan noted, and four days after she went missing. I felt that she's gonna that be she gone for away. a couple days, yeah. and I felt that she was gonna be home because first thing I did was I checked and see, um, she normally likes to take that bag when she goes away. Right. So that was missing. Her makeup was missing. Shoes are missing. Um, so I feel, okay, well, maybe she's gone for a few days or something. When I first came over to Susan's house for the Coachella Flyers, I didn't intend on an intensive inspection of Elaine's room. But the longer I stood there, the more unusual things began to seem to me. I cleaned everything. The yeah. only thing I didn't clean is that box of documents that I gave to uh, Ingrid, but yeah. Ingrid gave it to Jaden. And there's nothing in her bag with all the purses and stuff. Those are all cleaned, yeah, but... Yeah. Um, I asked Susan car. if there was any way to inspect Elaine's car, the one that was found abandoned on the side of PCH. Half of her shoes were in the car when we, they returned the vehicle. I promised not to touch or disturb anything. However, she tells me that the car has also been emptied and cleaned. They subleased it. And leased to someone else. It's such a shame. Unless they haven't leased it yet. No, I asked him and her dad said, um, it's just too late. I was curious about Elaine's father, Ray, and how involved he'd been in the search for her. So her dad just hasn't, like, said anything, huh? He just hasn't reacted in any emotional way? Oh, he has. Okay. The, the, the day that the vehicle was found, February 2nd, is his birthday. I informed him that vehicle was found, and he was just sobbing and tearing, and he said that, you know, she wanted some money from me to help out with payment, and then I just didn't have the money to give to her, and he felt guilt. More than anything between him and me is that she never got the normal lifestyle. She never got the love, you know, because of the divorce. This all this happened. This, it's all these things, emotional things yeah. happening. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all of that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed 
or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. The following is Susan's account of Elaine's early years, her relationship with her father, and other previously undisclosed details. This is from a separate interview around the same time, but I'm going to insert it here because this information will become important. I had a very tough marriage. We got divorced in 2008. Several times, even during the divorce, he would say, hey, you know, I'm willing to sign papers that says I don't need to see, I, I, I won't see the kids anymore, you know? He was willing to sign those kind of documents. He didn't want anything to do with that. In addition to that, I couldn't love her. I don't know why, I just couldn't love her the way a traditional American would. It came to a point where um, I asked, can you take Elaine, please? If we live together, one of us is gonna get hurt because we're just not getting along. She never got the love from anyone. Her grandma doesn't love her, her brother doesn't love her, her dad doesn't love her. As a child should be loved. When I hear Susan speak, I feel so bad for Elaine. Because I think one of the worst things a child can experience emotionally is to feel unwanted by their own parents. Normally in these podcasts, one protects the victim and tries to avoid pointing out any negative behavior. But at this point, I've gone through all of Elaine's emails, photos, texts, more than anyone would want a stranger seeing, and there's nothing to protect Elaine from. She's really a great, kind, positive person in every respect. So to hear her mother talking about her like this breaks my heart. I think this was the moment I fully committed to this case. I asked Susan about the last time she saw Elaine. She launched into a sort of backstory about Elaine's car problems. Yeah, but what was the, that, the last time you saw her in that last interaction with her? It wasn't really an interaction. Um, on Thursday, the 26th, January 26th, Thursday, 3.30 in the morning, I get a call. I'm at a gas. Can you come pick me up? Where are you? She pings me the location, so I went there. The car battery died uh, on top of no gas in middle of the bridge on 118 freeway. And uh, we jumped the car. We got a two-gallon gas, emergency gas. So everything okay, we came home. That morning, Thursday morning at 10 o'clock, um, I saw her in the living room with a little skippy lingerie, you know, in the living room resting. 
And my friend and I, we, he, he was helping me doing some house project. By friend, Susan's referring to her boyfriend, Jeff Hain. And then uh, when we walked in, she hurried up and jumped in, um, hired to the dining room area. And we had to go through the back gate. And then when we, we came back, she went into her room. So that's the last time I saw her. And that was the night day she saw Dave later. That next night. So I wouldn't know what happened right, that right, night. Everything just happened without me being aware. Right, so you went to your friend's house. Yeah. And did you say, oh, do you knock on the door, hey, goodbye, I'm taking off? Or do you just go, you guys kind of just took off? Oh, we didn't. We don't talk. Don't she lives her own life. I live my own life in the same roof. Um, she doesn't tell me where she goes. Whenever I ask, it's none of your business. She has this terrible attitude. I learned to accept leaving her alone. Or else we'll fight all the yeah, time. Yeah. Since Susan wasn't in touch with Elaine much, and they led separate lives, I was curious about what even made her aware in the first place that Elaine was missing. Yeah, so how'd you start to realize this? Um, Oh, we had an agreement. Okay, she wanted to borrow some money, and I always quick pay her through the right. phone. So she, you know, said, okay, I need $20. I will pay you back because the dad's going to give me spending money um, that Friday. So actually, we did text Friday morning. So I, I sent her $20, and then I said, well, when, are, when do you think your dad's going to give you spending money? Um, I think around 6 o'clock. I'll give it to you at 6 o'clock. So six o'clock comes, seven o'clock comes. She doesn't. She's pretty good about her because I've trained her to be right, good right, about right. it. She's pretty good about it, and she knows she needs to pay me back. So at seven o'clock, she doesn't. I text her as a reminder. She doesn't call me back or reply. Then two hours later, she texts me back. That was on Friday the twenty seventh at nine o'clock or something. She texts me back. Give me until later tonight. Those are her exact words. Right. So I said, okay. Then Saturday at 10.41, she didn't come home that, I was, I remember I stayed home that night. She didn't come home the next morning. Oh wait, was I home? I don't remember. Susan seems to remember what she did every night leading up to Elaine's disappearance, but doesn't remember what she did or where she was on the actual night of Elaine's disappearance. But 10.40, I text her as a reminder she didn't reply back, so I called her, and it rang twice. Right. Then it shut to directly to voice message. Right. Then ever since, the phone wasn't working, and it was off constantly. And then I said, um, oh, that's strange, you know? So I kind of, you know, sent her, you know, why didn't you keep your word? Um, but still, she didn't reply back. She would normally would. So, oh, something is wrong. What's going on? Um, so I immediately went to her room and see if there was anything missing or she right. packed or went somewhere and I looked, you know, she, her baby blue bag was missing. All her makeup was missing. Um, and it looked like she's planned to go somewhere for a few days. So right. I'm thinking, oh, maybe she just went. She does that a few right. times. Uh, goes off without telling me right. two, three days and come appears. So I thought it would be the same situation. Um, but because she didn't reply back on the money she was supposed to pay me back, that was a trigger right then and there. And I'm thinking something is not right. Why is her phone off? So 
I emailed her, I Facebook her, um, uh, and then she still didn't reply back. So Sunday comes, and I'm saying to my friend, you know, something is wrong. You know, I, I want to do a missing persons report. Um, and that's how everything started. When I called Sunday, first thing the police asked me was, how old is she? And I said, 20. And it would be under voluntary missing. But you have the text that you sent her? I only have it in the... Uh, phone record, Verizon record. Oh, you don't have it on your phone? No, I don't have it on my phone. I have a problem with whenever I take care of something, huh? I want to, I delete oh, your OCD, it. Your OCD, so you delete everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, no. I only keep the ones oh, no. that you haven't answered. Well, honestly, uh, with our group and Jaden and Rosemary, those, are only like ones I do yeah. not delete. But any yeah. others, like, I don't even have, oh, my son. Like, I only keep the ones I have to follow up. Yeah. I don't like to, oh, what was that again? What was like, that again? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like to keep because it's just clutter for me. As we're talking about Susan deleting messages when she gets a response, I realize that she just said Elaine never responded. So why would she have deleted those messages? I asked her about it. Yeah, this one, you cannot lock it. That's, I have to be careful. Wait, wait, what's that? Wait, wait. Not the iPhone. I used to have Samsung. Okay. You lock the message that you want to follow up, you lock it so it doesn't delete. So that's how I accidentally deleted Elaine's uh, text. At this point, I've studied Susan's text to Elaine pretty thoroughly. And over two months before Elaine even disappeared, she'd asked Elaine specifically, is it possible to lock messages in the iPhone? And Elaine had said no. Actually, the give me a give me a, until tonight. I think I have may have a screenshot of that. Can you check? Uh, sometimes your iMessage will keep it in the computer. Sometimes, it, sometimes, not all the time, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't even know if I set up an iCloud backup or nothing. <laughs> I, I used to have Samsung, and this is new to me. To be accurate, according to her text to Elaine, Susan switched to an iPhone on November twenty third over two months before Elaine went missing and almost five months prior to the date of this conversation. In addition, unfortunately, Susan was not able to find a screenshot of her last text with Elaine, which makes finding a way to get into Elaine's now-disabled iPhone all the more important. I had hoped that maybe after speaking more with Susan, I'd see that the die-die-die texts and the fighting over the insurance money were another dead end. But her behavior is so odd and there's so many apparent contradictions. I feel like I'm in the position of pursuing a direction in this investigation that feels really uncomfortable. Chapter 12, I think she's in heaven. Back at Susan's house, I leave with a photo of Elaine at Coachella to scan into a new flyer, and I grab a couple of the old flyers for reference. All right, I'm going to get to Jeff. Thank yeah, you so okay. much. Thank you. Uh, so I'm going to, I should take a few of these just in case, you right? You can take as much, much as you want. All right, I'll take these just in case, yeah. then I'll bring them yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're not planning on using this one. I gave right? to so all the people I, I need to give okay. to. Okay. I'm curious if Susan's friend, Rosemarie, has any suspicions. She's been with Susan since almost the beginning of this. So on the way out, I asked if she had some time to talk. My house okay, right whatever you think yeah. is good. Easy. What's the easiest for you? She agreed and invited me back to her house. On the way there, 
I called the rest of the Malibu team to fill them in on my visit to Susan's. Hey man, I just left uh, Susan's house. But before I can share the details, Mike cuts me off. I've got some crazy stuff to share with you too, man. So Incubus has a, a charity organization called the Make Yourself Foundation. There's a guy named Brandon who runs the foundation. He got a, a phone call from what seems like Susan and she was trying to pressure him into making a, a donation directly into the GoFundMe account. The GoFundMe page is a fundraising account that Rosemary set up for Susan to help her with the expenses of finding Elaine. Somehow Susan must have gotten his number and called him up and started pressuring him, saying, like, you need to make it now, here's where it needs to go, etc. And Brandon was like, who are you? And when he started asking questions about who the person was, um, she hung up on him. Like, when he started asking questions, it's just so strange. Like, That's bizarre. It's, yeah, it, it's just so weird because I, I never connected Susan with Brandon. Um, like, she, fi- she figured that out on her own. Totally weird. And I don't know, I feel weird. Like, you don't want to suspect the mother. It's hard to kind of put my head around it. I wish there was something that pointed us in a different direction, but there isn't. I park in front of Rosemary's house and enter. We sit on the couch and talk about the case. What's your, like, if you had to put together your theory, what's your theory? My theory? Yeah. I actually, I I think that the the family, Mm -hmm. the Compare family, had... It soon becomes apparent that Rosemary's suspicions are focused on Divine Compare, Elaine's ex-boyfriend and the last person she was seen with. Let's just say that there was no way it was the comparers. Do you have a second theory? <clears throat> Jeff told me, mm-hmm. her boyfriend, mm-hmm. on the phone, that Elaine's last words to her mom is awful. It's mm-hmm. terrible. Where I'm, I will cause you pain. That, that's what Jeff said that she yeah. said. And I just thought, well, what? You know, I didn't know the relationship was... I didn't know she was into what she was into. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, You know, when Jeff said that, it just kind of hits you hard. Jeff, you may recall, is Susan's boyfriend. And she mentioned that she was with Jeff the last time she saw Elaine. So I'm curious about him and the story he said about Elaine insinuating that she's going to hurt herself. What do you think of him? Because I haven't met him. Jeff? He's a nice guy. You know, his wife um, passed away. or She committed suicide. Wow. Evidently, took pill, I think it was pills. Be six years, five years. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I asked Rosemary how she first got in touch with Susan, and she explains she reached out to her through the dance studio, the one that Elaine, Billie Eilish, and Rosemary's daughter belonged to. Uh, when I got a hold of her, I said, "What do we do? What do I do for her?" Mm-hmm. And she goes, "Well, start a GoFundMe." You're, you know, do the Facebook thing, which we did, and... What was she doing uh, otherwise after that? What was Susan doing? Yeah. She was doing nothing. So what, 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 do, you make of, what do you make of Susan? As far as Susan, um, her behavior is... It's just very... It's, it's just very odd. She doesn't cry right. very much, at least from what I've seen. And, you know, and then she'll say it's her... Korean uh, background, it's her, the way that she is. But, I mean, everybody feels something. I mean, it's your daughter. The behavior is just, it was the ABC that she just said that I think she's in, she looks, I think she's in heaven and 
And after the interview, I said, you know, Susan, it's really sad that you think this because right. there's nothing that says she, she isn't alive. Rosemarie is referring to an ABC interview with Susan that took place about three weeks after Elaine disappeared. And it does seem odd for a mother to give up hope that her daughter's alive so quickly with no evidence. While I couldn't find that exact clip, I did find a similar statement from an interview that Susan did with HLN, CNN's headline news network. I don't know what happened, but I do know there's missing pieces that needs to be put together. I recently hired a private investigator using GoFundMe, and we're working on it. Um, I got a lead last night. Someone said about Hilton Alley, Calabasas area, so we were like desperately going out there last night with flashlights just small group of people, and I just need to find her body. I don't know what happened. Uh, I don't know. What's also unsettling is that Susan says she used the GoFundMe money to hire a private investigator. However, the private investigator she's working with, Jaden Brandt, is supposedly working pro bono. I need to reconfirm this with Jaden. Rosemarie also tells me that early in the search for Elaine, Jaden told Susan that he was able to get Divine Compare's phone records. Susan, despite having money in the GoFundMe account to cover this expense, didn't want to pay for them, even though Divine was supposedly her number one suspect. She just didn't want to give the money because she says, what if I need it in the end? I'm, I'm like, it's, it's now. There's no time important like right now. I mean, with every tick of the clock. Yeah. It's getting further away. It's getting harder further to do. away. And, you know, it's one step further away from finding her. But she says, but what if I need this in the end? I'm, for what? A funeral? And she says, This also seems like the right time to ask Rosemarie about what Mike had told me. If Susan had indeed called Incubus's charitable foundation and tried to get money from them. And the story that she tells me is that I'm at Venice Beach. I'm just, you know, trying to pass flyers out. And then I saw a girl on the beach and went up and talked to her, gave her a flyer, and then I met Brandon in Venice. And he knows Michael. And he's he runs his I, foundation. I, I just it's so confusing. This is very strange. According to Mike, Susan called his foundation and asked for a donation. According to Susan, she just happened to bump into the person who runs the foundation in Venice by complete coincidence. What did she want you to do? She wanted me to call him because she mm. didn't understand why he couldn't give money. Foundations can only give to nonprofits. She wanted to start a nonprofit right, right away. I'm like, we can't just start a nonprofit. If your child is missing, there are a lot of expenses involved in an investigation, and most families cannot afford this. So getting financial help and setting up a GoFundMe account is necessary. But there are two issues I'm having with all this. The first is, is she going about this in a deceitful way? And the second is, are these donations actually being used to find Elaine? So to start with, I'll need to speak to someone at Mike's Foundation to find out which story is true. There's one other odd thing I want to ask Rosemarie about. And that's the note that Susan wrote to Elaine on the whiteboard in her room. When I show Rosemarie a photograph of it, her first reaction is disbelief. Especially when she notices that Susan dated the message. Oh, no way. What? 
What? The February 1st? That doesn't, that just doesn't make any sense. The car found the next day. Yeah, so what do you, what do you think of that? That's sick. That's weird. That's weird. I don't know. Why is that? That's, when you decide to come home, I mean, then so she doesn't believe that she's maybe hurt somewhere or somebody hurt her. I mean, she, I don't think she believes that at all. Rosemarie stares transfixed in my photograph of the note a bit longer, struggling with her thoughts and feelings. There's something off in, in, my, yeah. in my feeling, and I yeah. can't put my finger on it. Right. And I, maybe it's because I don't want to, to right. be honest with you. Maybe it's right. I don't want to, and I keep disallowing myself to go forward with any of the thoughts. Rosemarie seems to really be confused about Susan's behavior. And I don't want to tell her what we know yet. Either Susan is really not a great mother, as she's admitted to us, or she knows more about her daughter's disappearance than she's telling us. So I thank Rosemarie for her time and begin the long drive to Coachella. What the fuck is up, Coachella? While I'm at Coachella, we follow up on a few of the things that Rosemary brought up. First, Mike emails Brandon DeRoche, the director of Incubus's charitable foundation. Here's an actor reading Brandon's response. On Friday, April 7th at 3.12 p.m., I received a blocked ID phone call from an older woman with a Korean accent who instructed me to donate on behalf of the Make Yourself Foundation directly to the Find Elaine Park GoFundMe page. This was shortly after speaking to related parties and informing them that the foundation was not able to make a donation. She insisted I could donate via the GoFundMe page, then ended the call quickly after I continued to stress that this was not a possibility. Sincerely, Brandon DeRoche. So it turns out that Mike's story was correct, and Susan's version of events, that she randomly bumped into him in Venice, was not true. Next, I get in touch with Jaden to see whether, as Susan told HLN News, she used the GoFundMe money to hire him or pay for him in any way. Yeah, Susan never paid me anything. I have the original contract that she signed where I was not being paid anything. She paid for some copies to be made early on. One other odd thing happens around this time. Rosemarie texts me. She wants me to call her. The note I showed her that Susan wrote on Elaine's whiteboard has been upsetting her. I mean, who writes a note like that? Not a note that you leave for your daughter who's missing. What strikes me as strange about Rosemary's reaction is that she's Susan's close friend. She's been involved in the investigation for Elaine from almost the beginning. So how has she never seen this note before? And why? Is it so distressing to her? Why hadn't you seen it before? I'd never been to the house before. She never wanted me to come over. So I'd never seen that, that note on the whiteboard. It was just the worst thing I've ever seen. I mean, it made my stomach flip. And why, why, was, why is that, though? I think it was calculated. It wasn't for Elaine. I think it was for us. 
thank you for listening to this episode. I have a few important announcements. This is still an active investigation, so if you have any information regarding the disappearance of Elaine Park or any of the parties that have been mentioned here, please email us at livedieLA at tenderfoot.tv or you can call us anonymously at 213-204-2073. I've also posted several details about the case. You can find these on our social media accounts at LiveDieLAPod. To Live and Die in LA is a production of Tenderfoot TV and Neil Strauss in association with Cadence 13. Executive producers are Neil Strauss, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay. Produced and edited by Tristan Bankston. Consulting producer, Alex Vespasted. Mixed and mastered by Cooper Skinner and Devin Johnson. Original music and score by Makeup and Vanity Set with additional musical services by Tristan Bankston. The theme song is Love and War by Flurry. Cover design by Trevor Eiler. Brandon's email read by Tristan Bankston. And special thanks to Chris Corcoran and the team at Cadence 13, Warren Siegel, Warren Rosenbaum, and Grace Royer at UTA, The Nord Group, Station 16, and Beck Media and Marketing. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Our hope is to expose these stories so that we may learn from them and hold those responsible accountable for their actions. Thank you for your support.